Welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and changemakers on their journey. What we've realized is the reason that some things are recyclable, like aluminum, paper, PET, HDPE, and glass are recyclable, and everything else is not, has everything to do with economics. In other words, the value of the aluminum that a recycling facility recovers is more than the cost of collecting and processing it. And that goes to one of the powers of purpose. You know, purpose allows people to want to get involved just for the sake of helping out and furthering the environmental and social goals of the business and never asking for compensation. I'm very pleased today to introduce Tom Saki. Tom is the founder of TerraCycle, an American company that makes consumer products from waste. It started back in 2001 as a simple idea to make an organic fertilizer from worm poo. Today, TerraCycle has grown into a company with annual revenues of more than $200 million, providing free waste collection programs for hard to recycle materials and then turning that waste into affordable green products. TerraCycle runs a wide range of volunteer-led recycling programs. For example, its Bottle Brigade program where schools and communities can send in recyclables for cash, is now present in more than 26 countries around the world. Thank you very much, Tom, for taking the time today to speak to inspiring social entrepreneurs. It's a great honor to talk to you and get have an opportunity to hear your story and learn some of your insights, your uh, journey. Did you initially think of yourself as wanting to become a social entrepreneur? This is an idea in university that you effectively developed into this business. Did you at the time conceive of yourself as a social entrepreneur? You know, to be absolutely honest, no. Um, you know, when I first, my, my first entrepreneurship, uh, entrepreneurial experience was when I was 14, I started a design company, had a few employees and we'd make like logos and websites. This was back when the web was really just uh, forming. And uh, at that point in time, I fell in love with the concept of classic entrepreneurship, the idea that if you have an idea, and especially if you're going to work really hard at it, there's a chance that the, your dreams can become real. Um, and I uh, did that, you know, and, and started uh, different sort of small ideas, nothing too substantial uh, uh, throughout high school. And then when I went to university, uh, I was thinking about uh, garbage uh, uh, as an idea. And uh, and that's how the idea of TerraCycle came up, first as a money-making idea around how I could solve waste. And really what happened is I fell into being a social entrepreneur. I, I uh, wasn't out there seeking to start uh, a social business. But then once I realized the benefit and the power and the fulfillment that social entrepreneurship brings – I really realized how lucky I was for falling into it and would, you know, now never start any other kind of business because, you know, social, you know, in classic entrepreneurship, there's a lot of payoff. You know, you get the, uh, the, the thrill of having your idea become big and real. And you, of course, get theoretical monetary payoff. But in social entrepreneurship, you get all that, but you also get the added benefit of purpose. And purpose is very, very powerful because it not only can fulfill you, uh, uh, in, in much more meaningful ways than just money can, but it also really uh, 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 fulfills your team, your stakeholders, and a lot of things become much easier uh, when purpose is there uh, than if it wasn't there. Uh, you know, ideas of getting people to work for less compensation, the idea of having partners do things much faster than they would normally. Uh, 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 media uh, comes much easier. Um, and even uh, 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 the ability to access senior leaders inside organizations, like getting with a CEO of a major partner is way easier when you have purpose than when you don't. 
Well, that's fascinating you say that because I've spoken to many social entrepreneurs and clearly there are self-evident challenges you know, as a social entrepreneur, there there are different kinds of challenges, you know, in terms of adding the social dimension to the, the ordinary business dimension, working in places sometimes where there are no infrastructure, no market and things like that. But it's great to hear that also the, the, the you know, the, the, the power of purpose and so forth. Do you get a sense that uh, social entrepreneurs, by and large, do well uh, or do enough to really, I guess Seth Godin talks about tribes, but, you know, really building around their idea groups of passionate people who believe in what they're doing. Absolutely. I mean, that goes to one of the uh, powers of purpose. You know, purpose allows uh, people to want to get involved uh, uh, just for the sake of helping out and furthering the environmental and social goals of the business and never asking for compensation. A good example uh, is, uh, you know, take for TerraCycle. We today have 60 million collectors across 26 countries. These are people out there spending a lot of time, a lot of their energy collecting non-recyclable waste, promoting that, uh, and so on without ever receiving any compensation from us, uh, just because they want to further our purpose, our mission. Now, can you, that wouldn't really be the case. Uh, you know, those people wouldn't get that engaged around helping Starbucks open up more coffee shops, right? They, you know, they, they, they wouldn't get a feel, you know, do the same thing if it was, um, you know, helping P&G sell more shampoo bottles. No, it's, yeah. it's fascinating that you say that. Talking to some social entrepreneurs, I just wonder whether oftentimes they do enough on that front to really get that message across or using that asset, I suppose you could say, of purpose as well as they might to get to motivate, to take advantage of all of the, the ways in which can help their business. You know, I, I would say that I don't think anyone, even companies like TerraCycle that have been around for 11 years, take full advantage because we're still learning about it. You know, I just had a meeting before uh, having this phone call with you that dis- that we were discussing with a team, uh, uh, you know, new ways that we've just found out that people are looking to help further our purpose. And this is 11 years into our, our, our company. We're still discovering new ways to leverage that fact. I think the important thing, uh, if you're a social entrepreneur, is build your business fundamental, the business fundamental of your social business, assuming that doesn't exist at all, that you have to win as a normal business. But then really look for all these ways that you can leverage uh, uh, your purpose to create value where there wouldn't be obvious value in a normal business construct. And I think Seth, you know, at Honesty is right about the idea that there's these tribes that form around your goal. And uh, uh, there's huge amounts of value that can be gained from that. Um, and it's, the key is just constantly exploring and unlocking it because social business is a very young idea. Uh, and uh, because of that, there's still uh, more to discover uh, uh, out there than I think is known. It's uh, very much sort of like, uh, you know, like Columbus, if you will, you know, discovering America. Like we just discovered the first islands, but we don't really know how powerful and uh, inspiring it can be. Uh, that's really interesting, and it's great to hear your your optimism about about the potential for social business. It just give us a little sense of you know how the, the the company's developed, where you are today. You know, I know you started out with an idea, worm poop in a bottle. Can you give us a sense of how it's evolved and, and the scale of your operations today. Absolutely. So TerraCycle's now uh, in our 11th year of business. Uh, we've had 11 years of straight revenue growth. Uh, this year, we should do maybe about 25 million. Last year, we did about 20 million. Uh, we have 120 employees or so, and we operate in 26 countries. In fact, we just launched our uh, Japanese uh, division about a week or two ago uh, to great success. 
Um, we have uh, now, uh, you know, for, for the size of business uh, we are, we do have relatively few employees, and that's because we outsource all of our manufacturing. So we have a lot of potentially indirect employees, um, but direct employees that are about 120 uh, uh, people. Um, and our goal uh, has morphed quite a bit. Uh, you know, we first started, uh, it's always been around how do we solve the idea of garbage. But it first started by doing so by creating consumer products out of garbage. Our first product was worm poop in a soda bottle, and we've made many more since then. But there, you know, at the beginning, the hero of our business question was always the product, and we would go and look for what type of waste would make the best product. And around 2007, we shifted that, and we said, well, the hero really needs to be the garbage, not the product. And as such, what type of um, you know, outputs would garbage produce? So today, instead of starting our business question as, oh, we want to make a a chair and what type of garbage would make the best chair, we start our business question by saying, well, we need to come up with a solution for used chewing gum or used cigarettes, and what could that be turned into? Uh, it may seem the same from a consumer-facing point of view, but it's very different from how we approach business. And what we've realized uh, uh, is that, you know, the reason things that are, uh, you know, the, the reason that some things are recyclable, like aluminum, paper, PET, HDPE, and glass, are recyclable and everything else is not has everything to do with economics you know in other words the value of the aluminum uh, that a recycling facility recovers is more than the cost of collecting and processing it and so to make things that are not recyclable recyclable we find that we need to find get funding from uh, uh, constituents uh, could be brands cities individuals to make those things recyclable by uh, deploying some cash against it that's and right that's really what TerraCycle is exploring quite a bit is how do we find more and more groups to pay for the service of making things that are not recyclable, recyclable? That's fascinating. How can you give a dimension of this? I mean, obviously a big subject, but, you know, the, of the total recyclable, you know, uh, you might call it 100% total waste. How much do you think potentially is is going to be recyclable um, or, you know, is, is a target? And, and what percentage would you say is today? Just give some sense of the trajectory, the potential, I suppose. I mean, you point out the crucial role of economics and costs in that. But um, it's, it's obviously something that's changing over time. Uh, it's, it's, it's a great question. So if you look at the overall garbage world today, 25% of uh, humanity's garbage uh, uh, goes still into our oceans. It's a pretty staggering percentage, and it's a pretty big environmental crisis. Um, this is the whole Pacific garbage gyre, but in fact, there's five of them. Every major garbage, sorry, every major gyre in the oceans is a garbage patch about the size of uh, Western Europe or Texas or whichever metaphor you put against it. The uh, That leaves 75%. Of the 75%, 5% or so is globally recycled, which then leaves 70%, which is either burned or buried. Uh, uh, burying would be sending to a landfill. Burning would be sending to incineration. Um and so we're today only at about a global 5% recovery rate. Now, technically, every single object in the world can be recycled with no exception. And uh, I can say that because TerraCycle has found solutions for basically everything out there. The challenge, frankly, isn't the solution. I mean, it is complex and there's science needed and engineering, but, there, but it's still solvable. The real question is how do you uh, fund it uh, and how do you collect it? And funding becomes the real primary question. So TerraCycle has gone out and found that one area where uh, funding uh, uh, can be sourced is by having consumer product companies from P&G to Kraft Foods to Nestle and others fund the voluntary recycling of their non-recyclable waste. But that only goes so far. Uh, you know, what we've found, and we've really focused on this in the past year, it's really where our more future development is going, is how do we get cities to fund? Uh, as an example, uh, about six months ago, the city of Vancouver in uh, Canada 
uh, funded uh, citywide cigarette recycling through TerraCycle. Uh, and we're seeing other cities uh, 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 look at doing that as well. So that's where cities could pay. Or could individuals pay? And we recently launched a service where individuals can go to our website and buy what we call zero waste boxes where they could get anything recycled that uh, uh, they couldn't recycle before. And the question that we're really uh, grappling with internally and trying to create innovation around is how do we get more and more uh, constituents, whether it's factories, whether it's cities, individuals, and other groups, to want to fund the recycling of their non-recyclable waste? Because it really just comes down to uh, lack of value in the waste, which could be offset by gaining some form of funding. That is very interesting. I suppose there's a, a, an upfront cost and an ongoing cost uh, to, to, to do this, I suppose, to fund the research into the actual mechanics, as it were, and the science of the transformation. And then the, there's an aspect which is the ongoing costs as well. Yes, that's right. So when you look at recycling of non-recyclables, it's basically a, a, a stool, if you will, with three legs. The first leg is you got to create collection infrastructure uh, and get people to, to collect and send the waste in a separated form. Because one of the issues with garbage is that it's very complex and mixed together. So collection becomes uh, 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 the, the first leg of the stool. The second leg of the stool is, of course, processing and solving the waste. Uh, that is uh, what we call our solution leg. Uh, turning the waste into a sellable material. In many cases, that may cost more than the sellable material is worth. Take, for example, cigarette recycling, which we now do in nine countries around the world. The cost of actually just uh, recycling the cigarette is more than the resulting cigarette polymer is worth, let alone the cost of uh, collection. And then the third leg of the stool is promotion, uh, which is important because we need people to become aware that these programs exist so they actually take part in them. And that is the uh, third uh, uh, part of the entire leg. So we always say, you know, whether it's TerraCycle or any or government doing this, the way to make things recyclable is you need infrastructure, uh, uh, which is collection and solution. And then you need awareness and excitement, which is really promotion. Um, just changing gear a little bit. One of the things that I think is fascinating just reading about your experience is your ability to build relationships with uh, big companies. I think that's a fascinating area and one of great potential for social business in general. How important is it, do you think, for a small and early stage and innovative social enterprise to build relationships? Well, what is the potential, do you think, for that? Well, I think it's tremendously important. And I would say that it's important for any form of business, whether it's social or not social, to be able to build strong relationships because the most successful businesses are the ones that focus on the one or two things that are very unique to them and then let other people do all the other things. It's one of the reasons we outsource all of our uh, supply chain uh, uh, to third parties because we'd rather not own the equipment and let people who own equipment do that and take care of that uh, burden. With that said, in social business, the ability to form partnerships is enhanced uh, or lubricated or however you would describe it because of the purpose that exists. You know, So companies are going to be faster at replying, more interested in supporting and going above and beyond with a social business because of the purpose than they would with a normal business because there is not that purpose. What are some of the obstacles? I mean, it's a big challenge for all early stage businesses to get on the radar, to get the attention. I mean, for a variety of reasons, not least that these companies are huge. They move at a completely different pace. You know, what would you say are a few of the key challenges, particularly from a social entrepreneur? Well, I think there's two big ones. Uh, one is funding. Uh, funding is a, is a key challenge for social entrepreneurs because social entrepreneurs have to take care of not just the profit bottom line, but the social and environmental bottom line. And that may at some 
in some cases, be at conflict with the profit bottom line. And uh, when uh, when that occurs, raising capital becomes more challenging because in today's world, while there are social funds and social investors and they're growing uh, in a big way, there's still way more traditional equity financing available than there is what I would call more benevolent equity financing available. Um, so that's why it is important for all social entrepreneurs to remember just how important profit is. Uh, uh, and because that will help them raise capital uh, and uh, be able to succeed under the metrics of normal business. Uh, and then the second challenge is keeping true to uh, serving your social and environmental bottom line and not letting uh, 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 business partnerships erode that. Um, a good example for TerraCycle was when we partnered with one of the most challenging industries in the world to partner with, which is big tobacco. You know, you'd imagine that a business like ours, which is fundamentally a social business uh, and really prides itself on that and uh, really takes care of its brand to that uh, to that purpose, is partnered with almost every major big tobacco company in the planet. We have active partnerships with Philip Morris, with BAT, uh, British American Tobacco, um, uh, Imperial Tobacco, uh, uh, and others, and uh, R.J. Reynolds. And, and, and the reason, you know, we had to really be careful with that because we wanted to make sure that we could use their funding to solve the global issue of cigarette waste, which is the most littered waste stream on the planet. 4.5 trillion cigarette butts are littered every year while making sure that we in no way promote smoking because we fundamentally stand against the idea of smoking and we think that the real solution to cigarette waste is people smoking less. And you can see why this would be a, uh, a uh, you know, not, not quite a quagmire, but something that you have to be very careful in navigating as a social business where you may have to be a little less careful if you weren't as concerned about your social and environmental bottom lines. At the very beginning, you, if I understand correctly, Coca-Cola agreed to allow you to use their bottles to for worm poop, uh, if that's correct. And uh, you, yeah. you, you managed to build a relationship at Home Depot. How on earth did you do that? Well, so we went to them. Uh, you know, we've always been a, a, at TerraCycle. You know, our key goal has been going to the biggest and the best in any category. Um, maybe biggest being the key word here because you could always debate best. But going to the biggest has been very important for us, partly because it's one of the challenges I see in social business. I see many social entrepreneurs not wanting to partner with major multinational conglomerates and uh, organizations of scale because they are concerned about, you know, certain ways they do business. You know, certain entrepreneurs may not want to sell to Walmart because they're worried, you know, because they don't like how Walmart does its uh, employee or, or HR management or, you know, may not want to work with uh, another company because of something else. And what, what the challenge to that is, and this is a key challenge in social entrepreneurship, is this forced um, uh, uh, approach to stay small. Uh, and that's because you forcefully limit who you partner with because almost any large organization will have negatives. You know, the, there is truly no uh, 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 business without impacts. You know, even organizations like you know, Stonyfield Yogurt, which makes uh, fantastic organic yogurt, still has externalities, like their packaging is not recyclable or the methane that the cows produce, you know, and yes. so on. And so it's important, to, uh, uh, I think, to acknowledge that there's no such thing as perfect consumption or perfect business. You know, perfect consumption would be not to buy anything. And that's uh, not something you can really sell easily. Um, so, you know, that's one of the key challenges I've seen in social business is this uh, forceful um, uh, uh, editing of potential partners. So what TerraCycle has done is we've said, look, we're going to focus on the, on the issue that is core to us, which is garbage, and how to solve that. And we're not going to comment or make uh, any uh, 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 decisions on anything else. 
It's why we work with big tobacco. It's why we work with big food, big cosmetics, and all these different organizations, even big pharma, because we're focused on the answer of garbage. Uh, and I think that's important to any social businesses to really distill down what the purpose is to one solvable area. Because if you go too broad, you're going to limit yourself and you're not going to really attain any impact. And also by partnering with large organizations, you can attain major impact. Um, and they're out there listening. You know, frankly, getting these partnerships just took a lot of persistence. But what I found when we went to the Home Depots, the Walmarts, the Kraft Foods of the world, and they all told me this, is that they want to do social action. Just very few people are knocking on their doors. Well, that's really uh, very interesting. I mean, what are two or three things that you would say to a room full of social entrepreneurs who somehow haven't got, they've now got the perspective, they understand this is potential and maybe they're and they understand that you know to do this they, they need to put away all of those other concerns and look at the potential so so if they're on the same page what literally do they need to do i mean you mentioned persistence and resilience and continuity what else well, i think i think the most important thing is uh make sure you have a good business model that can stand on its own two legs without uh being a social business uh in other words that you're not going to uh, have the purpose drive your success that the fundamental business can work on its own. I think that's critical step number one is to make sure you can stand alone as a business. Then leverage your purpose aggressively. Get people to help you for free. Get, get meetings that you couldn't get before. And that all comes from really one key idea, which is passionate persistence. Um, you have to be persistent and work very hard or nothing will ever happen. Things just won't fall in your plate because you're trying to do the right thing. Um, uh, uh, but passion can also be very contagious. And I think that's very important in any social businesses. So fundamentally, make sure your business can work as a business. Will the P&L work? Will you know, your cash flow work? Are you a real business? Then leverage your purpose through passionate persistence. So when you contact someone like Home Depot, I mean, clearly, to, to what extent do you need to think about their business agenda? What's in it for them? I mean, articulating it, because, uh, you know, lots of entrepreneurs tend to be very focused on what they do and, you know, social entrepreneurs on the challenges and the, 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 you know, the problems they're trying to solve. Is there a, a frame of mind you need to build relationships with large companies? Yeah, look, the fundamental answer is when you go to want to sell something to, say, a Home Depot, you need to think only what is in it for Home Depot and make sure that you win on those uh, uh, areas. You know, the reason we were able to get our first product ever, Worm Poop in a Soda Bottle, listed at Walmart, is because we showed them it was a better and cheaper fertilizer than the synthetic fertilizers they had on their shelf. And the uh, 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 the fact that it was made entirely from waste and perhaps the most environmentally friendly way to construct the notion of fertilizer was a, a nice to have and a nice differentiator, but it wasn't the reason they said yes. The reason they said yes was because it was a product that was cheaper, made them higher margin, and had efficacy. And you have to, this is why point number one is you have to win on the normal business constructs. You can't just rely on the fact that if we went into Home Depot and said, well, we have a little bit more expensive and not as well working fertilizer, but man, it's going to save the world. They would have said, well, that's great. We wish you well, but we're not going to list it. Right. And in this case, you know, clearly Walmart is about their business model is about being low cost and so forth. But if you are dealing with somebody who is maybe a premium distributor and so forth, you would then be possibly point to the brand benefits or whatever. You know, I mean, you're talking about framing it and couching it in terms that mean something to them and also directly uh, help their business. 
That's right. That's right. The critical thing, as always, is win on the business metrics. But the benefit of social business is you get this purpose uh, effect that is very powerful and can create a lot of value, but only and only if you've already went on the normal business construct first. You see a lot of social entrepreneurs, and I know you talk at conferences and you're uh, very present and, and sharing your knowledge and, and insights. And what are a couple of things that you would say to social entrepreneurs on their journey? What are a few things that you've learned and, and you think now you know, other social entrepreneurs in terms of you know, perspectives and learnings about making a successful social enterprise? I think, you know, the biggest lesson for me is, is, is this whole, you know, uh, focusing on the business dynamics, being really, uh, focused on cash, uh, uh, and, uh, and managing your cash flow, managing the vitals of the, the business. And then second is understanding that the purpose can be phenomenally powerful. And what that does is it allows you to ask things that would seem irrational in a normal setting, like asking someone to work for free, asking for rent to be free, asking for lawyers and accountants to give free service. These things uh, you can do when in a normal context, you may say, you know, it's not even worth asking. So, you know, maybe the biggest realization is understand that purpose will open doors that you never thought could be opened before and try to open them. Because if you never try to open them, you'll never know if they could have been opened to begin with. So would you literally contact a legal firm and say, you know, we need some help and say, would you be willing to do pro bono work? Is that something you build a relationship with them and then talk no, about it or just ask. right just from the ask beginning? Straight up. Like, yeah. Here's the point. If you didn't ask, you'd never know if they said yes. And I bet you that, you know, 25 percent of legal firms and accounting firms would do pro bono for a social business because they want to be associated with the purpose. It's very fulfilling to them and their employees. A real estate company may want to give a social business free office space because it's fulfilling to them. You know, uh, companies may allow you to see, talk to their senior leadership because it's fulfilling to them. Purpose is fulfilling to people. That is a key asset social enterprise has that no other form of enterprise has. And I'm mindful of, of the time. And it's just one area I I'm, I'm, would be interested in talking to you about. We've touched on it a little bit, um, is the whole idea of scaling. What has been key to your success in scaling TerraCycle? I think the key has been always going for volume, going for scale, making the idea of growth and scale a fundamental goal of the business because then people make decisions in the context of growth and scale. A good example is we you know, proactively search clients that could potentially be very, very large opportunities for us. And we only reactively reply to clients that would not be uh, uh, that for us. So we're not going after the small little, you know, organic store on the corner. Now, if they call us, we'll, of course, talk to them and see what we can do. We're going after the Walmarts of the world or the Kraft Foods of the world or large cities or whatever that would be. The way to scale is to aim for scale. Uh, 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 you know, uh, and especially this is important in social business because many times social enterprise only wants to work with the little organic corner store and then you defeat the idea of scale uh, without realizing it. You're at a stage in your development where you've got your proven business model, I suppose, to some extent. And you talked about volume and, you know, clearly the model often is high volume, low margin. If you get the model wrong, <laughs> um, you've got to be very careful. So what is a necessary prerequisite for, you know, in order to be able to deal with scale? Well, I think the important thing is you need to get your business uh, 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 to, you know, to make sense. You want to make sure that your business has the right fundamentals. And that's why step one for any social entrepreneur, I think, is to make sure that you have a real business that you're considering doing. Because I've talked to many social entrepreneurs who want to save the world through business, 
but their their business model doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. It's not going to generate revenue. It's not going to be able to be profitable. And without that, there's no ability because look, you start small, you lose a little money, then you scale and you lose a tremendous amount of money. So step one is making sure you have good business fundamentals. Then step two is to aim big. I mean, the first phone calls we ever made uh, were to Walmart, not to little stores. That's how we began. And so we aimed for the very biggest and worked our way down. And that's how we uh, approach every business decision now is we, if we have a new product idea, a new service idea, we aim for the biggest and then we go down from there. That's fascinating. So you frame that first question as how can we build a profitable business but dealing with a social issue? Yes. Absolutely, because I think business can facilitate the solution to social issues, just like it could facilitate the solution to clean breath, a full stomach, and warm, you know, uh, and, and a protected body, you know, like all the things that business already does for us. It can also solve social issues, but it has to do so if you're going to be a business with the ability to at least cover its costs and ideally make a little bit of profit. It doesn't have to be a lot of profit. I don't think the purpose of business should be profit, but at least a little bit will make sure that you don't go bankrupt. What about when things go difficult for you, Tom, and the good days and bad days? What inspires you? Who inspires you and keeps you going when things are tough? You know, I think our, my, the purpose of TerraCycle is what gives me the most inspiration. Whenever things are hard, I sit back and I look at the fact that we've you know uh, uh, collected and recycled millions and millions of pounds of waste, billions of pieces of waste that we've donated millions of dollars to charities that we have tens of millions of people collecting for us. When I sit back and realize all the amazing good we've created, that's what really says, well, you know, it's worth it. And we're going to get through this one bad day. And finally, I understand you have a, uh, is it a strategic investor now? How did that happen? And what does that mean for TerraCycle? Well, so we've done this now uh, all over the world for, uh, we started this about two years ago where we sold, uh, uh, two years ago was the first one, 33% of our business in Brazil to a very large recycling company there. Then about a year later, we sold 25% of our business to the third biggest waste management company in Germany, a company called Landwell. And uh, about six months ago, we just sold 20% of our uh, business to the largest waste management company in Canada called Progressive Waste. And we're doing more and more of these around the world because we want to bring in the largest uh, uh, waste management companies so that we can use our infrastructure, or sorry, excuse me, so we could use their infrastructure uh, to change the way people collect uh, garbage, really going after that first stool of the, of the chair, the collection chair, or sorry, the collection uh, leg, and leveraging this amazing infrastructure to have people uh, be able to recycle stuff they could never recycle before. Right, excellent. And your vision for TerraCycle over the next three to five years? As any business person would say, the bigger the better. So we're out there focusing very aggressively on uh, uh, on uh, uh, opening in more countries, collecting more types of waste, and collecting those waste uh, streams in larger and larger volumes. Uh, and uh, you know, more partnerships, more uh, synergies will allow us to accomplish that. And so far, eleven years of straight growth. So I just hope we maintain that record. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Tom, for taking the time to share your insights and knowledge and the very best of luck and good fortune to TerraCycle. I appreciate that. Thanks as well. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneur podcast. I hope you found this interview inspiring. Please make sure to visit www.inspiringsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts.